0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. This week... I spoke with Columbus creator Jay Klaus about his documentary film Test City USA, which paints a portrait of the Columbus startup scene and the funding that supports it. In addition to the film, the inspiration for it, and how it was made, we talk about how the startup realm led him to create his own path to follow, the point of time that Columbus is in, the importance of diversity, the importance of coaching, and the blank slate that is Columbus. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, the confluence cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website theconfluencecast.com or at patreon.com/confluence. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here with Jay Klaus, among other things, the producer of the film Test City USA, now available online and uh, lots of places, right, Jay? Yeah, mostly
1: online, though. Online is everywhere. Online is all places. Right, indeed. Jay, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. How are you, Tim? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, Full disclosure at the
0: beginning of this, Jay and I have known each other for a couple of years, sit together on the Create Columbus Commission, and have explored other endeavors together as well. The occasion for this, though, is talking about the film Test City USA. Um, Before we get into the film, Jay, give us your, your elevator pitch for who you are.
1: I am an independent creator. And most of what I do can be put under the umbrella of helping creatives become more successful, confident business owners. And that looks like writing. It looks like podcasting. It looks like online courses, mostly working with freelancers and online creators. And before I was really that elegant and eloquent at putting that pitch together, Mm -hmm. I was much more involved in the startup world and the startup scene. And that was the beginning of our first podcast called Upside, which is a collaboration between myself and Eric Hornung. And Upside was studying startup ecosystems across the country and even a little bit in other countries, but startup ecosystems that are not Silicon Valley to show the opportunities that are there that we think are underrepresented and don't get a lot of media attention.
0: Okay. And then you also do Unreal Collective. That Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Unreal Collective, I think of now as a community, but the beginning of that community is a flagship product, which is a 12-week online accelerator program. Uh, And that's worked with founders, freelancers, creators, anybody who is basically making their own path and wanted to uh, have some group accountability and help for accelerating that path. Gotcha.
0: And then what's your what's your background that sort of brought you to the, the content creation and the helping other folks out?
1: Like I said, I started in the startup realm more uh, than anything else and came at it from the standpoint of just being really curious about creating my own path. And okay. that led me through um, the entrepreneurship organization at Ohio State when I went to undergrad, led me into my first startup company where I was hired as the first employee. Essentially, co-founder of a digital ticketing marketplace called Tixers. Mm -hmm. Uh, We ran that company for a couple of years, raised a little bit of seed funding, uh, sold it pretty quickly in 2015 Mm -hmm. and worked for that company for a year. Didn't like that experience. Uh, Took a job at Crosschecks. Now all live in town, uh, one of Drives First Venture Investments here in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Worked there as a product manager for a year got a lot better at like the ins and outs of actual product management and what it meant to lead product at a technology organization, and then just hated having a boss. So I left (laughs) to go back out on my own. And I didn't really know what that looked like. And sort of by accident and necessity began freelancing. And that led me down the rabbit hole of everything that was possible in terms of creating content and products online which has been what I've been spending most of my time doing for the last 3 years
0: gotcha and you're throughout this conversation i'm sure we're going to do a certain amount of name dropping it, you know you mentioned drive capital which is a venture capital investment firm here in columbus and at some points i'll stop you and say like let's talk about that and what is that But for everything else, there's a link in the show notes for more information on those folks. Just sort of a, this is a nuts and bolts question, how are you getting paid? I know that the folks who participated in Unreal Collective, they were paying a fee in order to participate in that accelerator program. How are you paying the bills?
1: Yeah, it started with Unreal Collective being my main economic engine, which Mm -hmm. I ran three cohorts per year. And so a 12 week cohort, three times per year, it takes up most of the year if you're doing it Mm -hmm. on that pace. Um, but that like at a baseline was able to cover my needs, but, uh, that's never been my sole income. What I've added on top of that, I, uh, create courses for LinkedIn learning, Mm -hmm. which is a publishing agreement. And I've created seven courses for them at this point. I do some freelance work from time to time. Uh, I've worked with Lassian, and most recently pat flynn and the smart passive income team um i sell courses on my own independently and now with two podcasts that both bring in sponsorship we have cool. that income stream plus some miscellaneous affiliate income that comes from my writing and things like that i think that covers the majority of where money comes from. None of them are huge. And and I apologize
0: for the for the question. I just uh, I, I think it's important for folks to sort of see that it is possible to create a different couple of different baskets and get eggs out of them. Totally.
1: And it's in the beginning, again, it was kind of necessity because no one thing that I was doing was super profitable and so Mm -hmm. you add little bits on top of that and eventually if you get all those things working in concert they start feeding one another and uh any one of them can take off or multiple of them can take off and it's it's really um a pretty powerful model but it takes some real time and investment of your own energy (laughs) to get to that point
0: yeah well and i would encourage anybody who is i i i'm going to try to not use words like side hustle and gig economy. Uh, but gig is the one I don't like. Yeah. If there are folks who are listening to this who are freelancers and are interested in sort of stepping up, buzzword just coming to my head, step up their game (laughs) in terms of how they approach their business and approach specifically finding new clients and executing on those clients. Jay has uh, a couple of great... Email. I'll just call them drip campaigns because that's what they are. He has great information that he distributes through email and also on his website about like here's an actionable step that you can take right now. Here's how I did it. I'm sure that there is some amount of sort of upsell on the back end uh, on your side if you know folks oh, yeah. n- need one-on-one consultation or whatever. But I I see a lot of value just in that sort of free content that you put out there so that's my that's my hat tip to you thank you let's get into test city usa it's a film again available online about the startup ecosystem buzzword uh, the startup ecosystem of columbus and first of all why did you do the film and is that a correct description of it
1: 100 percent. it's a full length 94 minute you know feature documentary film and we did it because in the beginning with upside eric and i we were just interested in seeing like okay what else is going what's going on like what do other cities look like he was in new york when we started he moved to cincinnati since i'm sitting here in columbus he's familiar with columbus because we met an undergrad at ohio state but we, mm-hmm. we we didn't know much about other cities across the country other than like Occasionally in conversations, we'd start hearing some of the same cities like Kansas City and Indianapolis and Detroit, but we didn't know anything about what was going on there.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: so we started talking to founders at first, at first the show's sole format was a three-part episode interviewing founders as if we were angel investors to learn about their business model and see what kind of opportunity it was. Okay. So then we this
0: is the podcast again. This, this is, is the podcast. Got it.
1: This is the podcast upside. And then we started talking with community builders and venture investors in those cities as well. And after a few months of doing this, we realized, okay, we've actually gotten a couple of different touch points in a couple of different cities. Instead of trying to tell a city's story from one or two perspectives, it'd be really Mm -hmm. great to create an episode of the podcast at this point of multiple people within a city talking to us about that city. Okay. And, And we realized that would probably be a difficult to produce piece of audio and even at worst, like a miserable piece of audio to try to listen to because it'd just be really hard to keep people straight. Okay, And so we just tabled it because we realized, okay, that should probably actually be a film if we ever wanted to do that. And neither neither Eric or I had equipment or money or ambition to do that.
0: Right. I'm just thinking through like the best example is like a true crime podcast where there's multiple characters going on. And every three minutes you have to hear By the way, this is that person again.
1: Exactly. You'd have to introduce all these people. This is Tim Fulton, you know, like, right. It would be really difficult. You could do it. It could be done, but it would be Mm -hmm. high production and just difficult. Yeah. We thought it'd be easier with video, but we didn't have that skill, So we tabled it fast forward about a year and we're taking part in a program called Huntington bucks, GoPro, I think 2.0. It's a program from Ohio state university that matches up Ohio state student athletes with companies to give them a real job and career experience leading up to graduation. Okay. And we put a couple of job descriptions together. One of which was like a media intern. We didn't expect we'd actually get somebody for this position to be honest. Okay. And and we had a kid apply who was, um, in his last year at Ohio state on the volleyball team and he wanted to be a filmmaker. Okay. And so we looked at his, his stuff and it was better than anything Eric and I can do. And we said, cool, let's, let's put this kid to work and see if he can get us like a 20 minute prototype of what one of these films could look like so that maybe we could go and get some like financial backing to actually invest and create a full film. Okay. What we didn't know was, um, (laughs) people would be really open to being interviewed and Kyle had gotten so much better than what his portfolio had shown us and he had better equipment than what we saw through his portfolio. And so just a couple of weeks into booking interviews and starting to shoot this 20 minute prototype, Mm -hmm. we realized we're going to have a ton of great content Okay, why not just make a full length movie out of this and try that. And it just kind of kept escalating from there where it became more and more real and viable until the point where we said. You know the internship's ending let's get an initial cut of this together and do a public screening of this at one of the local theaters mm-hmm. and when we went to the gateway film center like this local you know uh, theater here in town the the president there said yeah of course you can do this this is something that we make possible for local filmmakers all the time right and, and then he said but are you guys considering festivals and we said no, like, that's not be? what this.
0: What, like, <laughs> yeah. How does that happen?
1: And he said, well, the problem with festivals is you won't really be considered for film festivals if you've already theatrically aired the mm-hmm. film. So he said, if you have any ambitions for film festivals, you should try to do that before you publicly screen the film. And, then yeah, he said, and the
0: reasoning there is like they just want first they want first airing to be there.
1: Yeah, it drives yeah. more people to the film festival. It, it right. makes sense. So we were like, "Oh, that's interesting." And then he ended that conversation with a, "Oh, by the way, there is a film festival in Columbus next month, and mm-hmm. if you want to submit to that film festival, get me a clip this week that I can have reviewed by the panel of judges." And we didn't know what the timing this was going to be. Like, we weren't even in editing yet. So very quickly okay. that week, we literally cut like a super rough. 45 minute clip of this film that got accepted. And then we had about three weeks to finish editing the film for the festival. That's fast. Yeah. I mean the whole thing, the whole thing was shot and edited and then screened in a period of three and a half months. Wow. Okay. So you, you've talked about
0: sort of the impetus for it. This intern was, it was basically a, we've got this idea and this is, quote-unquote free labor or rather free to you they're being compensated by this program at ohio state and you're like we kind of want to do this thing and so this intern kyle kyle skinner it's almost like he opened up the floodgates for you a little bit and you just didn't even know they were there especially in terms of folks being willing to be interviewed there's a narrative there about what You know the Columbus startup scene, but you're also like, oh, this is actually insider knowledge, some of which you didn't even know, I'm sure. Uh, Talking to folks like Tom Walker at Rev1 Ventures, talking to Matt Armstead, my colleague, full disclosure. And, yeah, and so it was like, oh, we have all this now and we have to do something with it.
1: Yeah, well, I, you know, like I said, we thought this would be a prototype. So I just started reaching out to people in town that I thought would be sympathetic to being interviewed. And Mm -hmm. I... My pitch to them was basically, hey, we're working on a film project this summer, um, probably 20 to 30 minutes long. Would you be interested or open to a 30 minute interview? Like, I didn't know we were going to be doing a public screening. This is what gave me like a ton of anxiety later when we we're doing the screening at a film festival. This was not. Oh, yeah. What I warned people was going to happen. But um, yeah. And, and everyone just said yes. I think there was one person who didn't get back to me or or maybe two people who didn't get back to me or weren't available. But people just kept saying, yes. So now we're interviewing all these people around town who are known as being pillars of the startup community. And it just felt like we had to do something about this because Columbus, in my opinion, is in a really interesting point in time as it relates to startup and venture activity across the country. And what I think is like a a revolution of how companies are being started and funded. And, um, you know, I would put Columbus at like the bottom of a top 10 list of cities across the country that. Uh, have vibrant startup ecosystems, which sounds almost like a put down, but you get to 10 cities really, really quickly. If you start thinking about it, you have have San Francisco, New York, Boston, Austin, Seattle, Chicago, Minneapolis, and that's seven already. So depending on how you want to throw in Indy, Nashville, uh, Detroit, Cincinnati, Columbus, like you get to a top 10 list pretty quickly with stuff that you just say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, further ahead than Columbus. But it's an interesting time because there's a lot of tier three cities who are looking very aspirationally at what Columbus is doing.
0: Okay. And so talk, we'll get back to sort of the process of the film and the, and the feedback that you've gotten from it. But talk about what are, for those that haven't seen the film, and hopefully this is an encouragement for them to see it, what the film doesn't do is make those comparisons, right? Correct. It's it's very sort of this is a portrait. We're not putting up Nashville right next to you and we're not putting up, you know, Correct. Minneapolis, all those other cities that you just mentioned. What though, given your knowledge from both being in the startup scene, working in that community and your work with Upside, what's different in Columbus? And talk to me about not potential, but talk about what's actually different.
1: A couple of major things that come to mind. You have you have Drive Capital, which is mm-hmm. one of the flagship, large scale venture investment firms that are post seed in the middle of the country. You know, they were one of the first and something we've realized an upside is during the period of like 2014 to 2015, there were a handful of uh, high profile Silicon Valley investors who basically defected and went to different parts of the country saying, we think this can be done in different parts of the country. We talked to one a couple weeks ago in Bozeman, Montana. We talked to a guy a few months ago who headquartered in Madison, Wisconsin, and Mm -hmm. the drive guys landed in here in Columbus, Ohio. And so what Columbus has is that type of large scale venture firm. We've had some earlier stage investing firms like Rev1, and uh, we have a very large angel group presence here in Columbus as well. We have a ton of universities and knowledge workers. We have a ton of fortune 500 companies, and we have a very interesting state funding mechanism from an economic development standpoint, the third frontier program, which is all of Ohio, but Columbus obviously benefits from that. Mm -hmm. A lot of that stuff is very different than what you see in other cities. Um, okay. And also Ohio is a really interesting state because there are three cities in Ohio. That are all relatively similar in this regard almost no other state has multiple cities that you would mention in the same breath with like the top level cities besides texas is one texas california california maybe florida but most states that are having a tier two or tier three startup ecosystem they have like one city in that state that you'd say, that's where this is really happening. And that that would be one breath.
0: Okay. What is it that places
1: those other cities above us? What's different there? In the cities that are outpacing Columbus, what you see mostly is a larger number of uh, venture investing firms. Like a lot of cities will have more than one drive. We have like one drive. You know, we have one drive, right. one rev one. There's usually more competition and collaboration of capital in the cities that are outpacing us. LA, for example, has something like 120 different firms and they're still like middle of a top 10 list, you mm-hmm. know, so that's significantly different. And there's the obvious, you know, fallout then of fewer startup companies. This is all the the, the the concept of a flywheel is very, very real because until you have more money and more companies, you can't have as many outcomes. You can't have as many experienced entrepreneurs and experienced startup employees who can become entrepreneurs all of that flywheel needs to get turning in a place and columbus is starting to see it with exits like cover my meds mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of these cities like chicago has had several cover my meds type companies mm-hmm. um, and we haven't gotten there yet there's not as much capital here but also most states don't have this state funding mechanism of the third frontier program, which is like very different, uh, Philadelphia has something similar called the Benjamin Franklin technology program, but most states don't have that. And a large part of test city USA, the film dives a little bit deeper into that program, Mm -hmm. um, because it is unique about Columbus and, uh, people have differing opinions about it, frankly.
0: Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're talking a lot about funding and resources in terms of human capital, what are the other sort of opportunities for startups in this ecosystem specifically?
1: Well, any ecosystem you look at, you wanna look at your unique strengths. And that usually comes from industry, universities. So in places like Pittsburgh, you have Carnegie Mellon and uh, that birthed an industry of autonomous for a lot, in a lot of ways. In Detroit, you have the old school automobile industry. In Nashville, you have a lot of healthcare. in Columbus. We see things like insurance becoming a big player. We also mm-hmm. see healthcare. care. Uh, you'll see things like cybersecurity. Now, with drives focus on robotics and uh, helping bring robotics companies here, you're seeing more robotics here as well. So if you if you tie into those industries, retail is another big one. If you mm-hmm. tie into those industries of what Columbus historically has institutional and long term knowledge and experience for, Right, You have a compelling reason to start that type of company in this city as opposed to Bozeman, Montana, where you don't have that same industry. Just because you can start the company everywhere, or anywhere, I should say, it doesn't need to be in the Valley, doesn't mean that there aren't distinct advantages to different cities for different types of companies.
0: Right. Obviously, a startup that starts here that's within one of those verticals is going to have probably an easier time. They've got experience there folks in the field know columbus um they're probably going to be able to hopefully hire away some talent that already works in that space and so you're not for lack of a better term onboarding them into it um should startups sort of make sure that they're focusing in that or are there other are there opportunities outside of those verticals for startups in columbus because i would think specifically about like You know, you just named what we do well. I don't think you named healthcare, but I think we have more hospitals here per capita than any other large metropolitan city. And I'm thinking about Cover My Med's exit, which is arguably a medical business and an insurance business. I think about Root Insurance, which hasn't had an exit, but has a huge influx of capital. Think of Beam Dental, which our good friend Alex Frohmeyer is heading up. And all the successes I see are are within those verticals
1: well and and that's partially because we're familiar with them too like i think okay. i think a lot of people would start talking about companies like Fisna robotics or um, finite state uh, cyber security firm they would start talking about them the same breath as root and beam dental when they know those spaces better i'm not super familiar with robotics or cyber but those companies are fairly recent additions to drives portfolio that mm-hmm. I know people are really bullish about. So I, I do think to your original question, of course there's opportunity outside of those regions, you know, it's already mm-hmm. going to be more difficult to start a company, not in the valley. That's just the truth pretty much no matter what. And so if you aren't, you also aren't pay- playing to the strengths of your unique geographical ecosystem. Sure. You can still do that. Like we've, we've come a long way in being able to connect with anybody across the country through video conferencing and, and things like that. But it and is gonna the, be
0: harder. The accept, we should note that, you know, we're recording
1: this in August of twenty twenty. There's an acceptability to that as well. Yeah. It's just gonna be harder. And, and most most founders here in Columbus even, even if they've gotten drive backing, would tell you that when it's time to fundraise, they're going to spend weeks, if not months, on uh, the West coast with meetings, Mm -hmm. you know, like they'll do these short-term deployments to go out there and have meetings and bring capital back. So firms are more interested in investing across the country, but that doesn't mean you don't still, or didn't at least before, uh, this pandemic have to go to them. I am bullish and optimistic that this pandemic as a forcing function is going to get people to realize like, Oh, I can conduct the same diligence, Digitally, I don't need a satellite office. I don't need to be somewhere. Like, I think this levels mm-hmm. the playing field a lot for for founders across the country, but we'll see. Yeah, back to the
0: film a little bit. What sort of, what feedback did you receive on it afterwards? Do the Tom Walkers of Columbus look at it as like, this is a great portrait of it. Have folks felt like it was a fair representation of what's going on in Columbus?
1: Most of the folks who were in the film were able to attend the premiere. Okay. And so I had a lot of anxiety because, again, I didn't tell people when I was interviewing them that it was going to be premiered on a giant screen at the Gateway. I just said, here.
0: Small question. Did, like when you first interviewed them, were, did they even sign a release? You every just one of didn't them. Need... So that happened at least. So yep. that's good.
1: Yep. Every one of them signed a release before we interviewed. Um, so that was, that was why I felt safe doing it. It wasn't that I thought legally I was having any issues. Right. It was like reputationally because I didn't want this to be. a A gotcha. I didn't want to be a gotcha, but I also didn't want to just be like a fluff piece about why I love Columbus. I do love Columbus, but I didn't want to glaze over issues too. So Mm -hmm. just about everyone who was in the film did come to the premiere and the people who I was most anxious about uh, their response, they all gave me positive feedback. Um, Not everybody made it like um, you mentioned Tom. Tom didn't make it to the premiere. I don't know if Uh you've seen it. Um, I didn't send like, a Dropbox link to everyone in the film. Maybe I should have it's available online, but it is something that we're putting up for rent or purchase to help recoup some of the other costs that we did incur with the film. Uh, and also half it's going to, um, nonprofits benefiting COVID relief right now. So we thought, we thought that was a way we could do some good, but I'm sure it did limit the number of people who have seen it. Overwhelmingly feedback has been positive. The negative pieces of feedback that I 100% agree with are that there weren't enough women in the film. Um, and yeah, I agree. And part of the part of the flaw of this process, because we thought it was going to be a prototype, I wasn't mm-hmm. thinking from the beginning about the perfect cast. I was thinking about a great cast and people I could get in touch with. Mm-hmm. And so we were twenty interviews deep by the time I realized we were going to be doing something bigger with this, mm-hmm. and uh, it was just tough on the time frame we had and uh number the amount of material we already had to get as d- diverse of a cast as i could and mm-hmm. arguably the people making decisions in columbus in this ecosystem aren't as diverse as they should be either so it was very it was tough for me to even think about who who to get in touch with so that was feedback we got that i think is extremely valid um mm-hmm. even guys like ben blank i didn't get ben 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 Blanqueira in the film he is one of the hmm. OG, like tech yeah. tech and startup ecosystem people here in Columbus. And I didn't interview them. And that's like a genuine regret of mine. Anything else about
0: sort of the the film or because it's done now, right? Like it's yeah. packaged up. You've obviously got the raw footage if you want to recut it. But uh, anything else that you would have changed about sort of the the making of it? And that could be anything from I wish we had a vision for what we were going to do with it when we started to... I wish we didn't have to rush through things so that we could sort of craft a different narrative. This, this is the, the more about the creative process.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for asking, because I did riff on this for like 20 minutes as bonus material for this film months after it passed, basically kind of give a similar recount. And okay. what, I, what I've kind of landed on is of course, I wish we had more time to edit it. Standard, documentary production, by the way, this is my first film I've ever produced. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Standard documentary. <laughs> but you're pro- speaking
0: from a point of authority cause you've done
1: it. Yeah. So yeah. But like, I didn't know what I was doing when I was doing it. Standard documentary procedure or like best practice would tell you that you should have a couple of characters that you follow their narrative and their story as part of pushing the entire documentary story forward. I mm-hmm. didn't want to do that. Um, And maybe I should have, I also, I also opted for not having my voice in the film at all. Instead of Uh narration, we used what I call like title screens, where if I needed to fill in some gaps of information, we had a black screen with, with some white text to help give some, some facts to push the story forward. I like that as a device. Could it have been narrated? Yes. But we went into this and being from Columbus and being obviously biased I was actively from the beginning trying to fight my own bias about what the story here was. So down to the interviews that I conducted, I was trying to get people to talk from their perspective, strengths, weaknesses, how it's happened with Columbus. And then once we had all the content, we started cutting it to say, what is the story here? As opposed to saying, this is the story. Let me get material to back it. I didn't want to do that. Right. So I'm proud of that. But do I wish we had more time to cut it even better? Of course. Obviously, we do. We, we literally didn't have the final file that was being aired at the fir- first film festival until the morning of, you know, like wow. I exported the file that night, um, walked with a thumb drive to the theater That's that morning.
0: Real dangerous to just render it
1: you know, eight hours before. And it's like, what if I ran, run out we, of storage? What we if it wanted, just doesn't work for some reason? <laughs> we wanted as much time as possible to edit it because we were doing, we were doing waves of edits as we were going. And at the time I wasn't living with my girlfriend, but I was watching like every version of it with her at her apartment. And we watched it and I'd just be scribbling notes of like at this timestamp, we need to change this and this, we need to cut yep. this. We need B roll here. We need to fix this sound. And I would continuously go back to Kyle with like, Twenty edits, and every time I'm just telling myself like, I am so screwed. This movie is garbage. People aren't going to like it. I like tricked all these people into being in it. Like I thought I was reputationally screwed. And also, okay. like we're we're tackling things where there are people in the film who had vocal criticisms of the third frontier program, mm-hmm. of how Rev One handles like working with the angel community here. How diversity is a real issue here. Like these are all issues that we brought up in the film that. People voluntarily told me, but I didn't Mm -hmm. want to ruin their reputations either. Like this is a small town. And so I was, I haven't thought about this in a while, but I was very, very anxious around (laughs) releasing the film. And I'm glad that we did put the conflict in there, but it doesn't follow a standard narrative arc that you would see. We kind of broke it up into Columbus's history, um, a snapshot of, uh, some of the venture wins that have happened, uh, the Columbus grassroots startup community and, Uh, kind of looking forward, you know, how the city is growing, even things related to real estate and housing equity. Like we touch on all of that. But yeah, it's not quite a narrative arc from a person, more of a narrative arc from a city's growth.
0: Yeah. To sort of counter what you're saying, I do think it holds together as a, here's an informational piece that is interesting, but there are sort of narrative elements that maybe you need, but I don't, I think it holds up is what I'm saying.
1: I 100% could have used the coaching and guidance of someone who'd done this before. You know, like my, my entire production history was in audio, like short form audio, just doing interviews with one person Mm
0: -hmm. never
1: had taken something onto the scale of this before. And so I was literally just going off of gut feel from having watched a bunch of movies and documentaries myself. Like Kyle, of course had direction and guidance from what he had known, but his first film directing which is part yeah. of my favorite part of this whole thing is this student walked away having directed a feature film that was showcased in two film festivals like mm-hmm. so happy that he can say that and and do something with that um i will say also that the the quality of the i think with projects
0: like this you can get distract. you don't even realize that you could be distracted by quality but lighting sound editing never distracted by it and that's a testament to the quality of it
1: that was ultimately why we decided to pursue doing a screening because i couldn't believe we didn't lose any video we didn't lose any audio all of it was usable usable all of it was good like he Mm -hmm. framed shots well the lighting on shots were great i had just purchased like podcast audio equipment that we use for audio for this film so Mm -hmm. it was all great yeah i was so proud of the way it looked and sounded that i felt like we had to do something so it just didn't live on an external hard drive forever
0: right so you did the film festival in columbus and which film festival was that
1: that was film festival of columbus
0: got it and then what did you do what was the other festival it was in
1: columbus international film festival
0: ah to our two flagship film festivals we did
1: we, we did submit to about two dozen other film festivals and i okay. think there, i think there are a couple that still have not gotten back to us like there's was, there was one that i thought was a slam dunk that was already a digital film festival at some point like these film festivals started shutting down and saying we're actually not having the film festival but oh. we did submit to a bunch of other ones and some of them gave feedback we got some harsh cre- feedback from the Cleveland International Film Festival some really? good feedback but there were a couple judges who were just like they were like is this a promo piece for Columbus and i was like did you think it was a promo piece for columbus <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so that was an interesting experience first time doing that who knows if i'll ever do this again but yeah it was two columbus film festivals
0: and then what else did you do with so what was then the distribution
1: strategy we had actually talked with um a distribution agent who okay. had experience getting things onto Netflix, HBO, Amazon. It's actually easier to do those things than you would think. Mm-hmm. But um, we ultimately decided to self publish through Vimeo on demand and distribute it online because at some point I'm going to open it up to stream for free. That's just the way things will go. Cause I want people to see it. Okay. Um, but in working with an agent like that, he, he told us right off the bat that a couple of these outlets, like they weren't going to be viable. HBO wasn't going to do it. It's not their style of documentary. He's like Netflix might, but you would get very bad terms and it would be tough mm-hmm. in any of those cases, working through someone like that. And for platforms like that, you give up all rights to um, the edit. They could basically take the film and re-edit and reproduce it how they want, if they wanted okay. to, at least with that agent. And having already put so much of my reputation on the line with people locally, mm-hmm. I didn't want to give someone else control to make.
0: To sort of drive up conflict, to be yeah. like, these are the bad things that are happening. Yeah. yeah. So
1: ultimately, I was just like, you know what? It's going to live in the form that it is now. Do I wish we could do more? Could we do more? Do we have the files to do more? Yes. Let's leave it as it is. Let's self self-publish and distribute. Uh, did we leave maybe some money on the table? Sure. But not really the point. And so your intent. I'm just reading between the lines.
0: Your intention right now is to sort of at least recoup the money and investment that you made in the film. And then once that well runs dry, you'll say, okay, anybody can watch this.
1: Yeah. And I don't even have a hard figure on that. Like literally we released this three months ago online. And from day one, we were giving half of proceeds to, um, Uh, We Feed Columbus, Mm -hmm. an organization that came out of Can't Stop Columbus to basically support local restaurants and local families who are uh, food insecure. Mm -hmm. And um, I like being able to do that. And I will keep doing that until people just refuse to buy it anymore. And at that point, I'll probably say, all right, let's just let's just stream it. Let's make it more possible. Because, you know, to me, the the amazing outcome that I think will happen from this is 10 years from now, this is going to be a really interesting time capsule. Mm hmm. Yeah. That's a fair
0: point. So what's next? What are you working on now?
1: Well, we continue to, to publish upside weekly. Um, that's fun. We are beginning to create, um, a couple more podcasts under the upside umbrella as kind of our own network in Mm -hmm. uh, Cleveland and Cincinnati. Great. Um, that's all led by Eric. He's handling all that. Personally, I've been, uh, continuing to double down on, um, Uh, my project Freelancing School, which is a platform to educate people on how to make a living freelancing and help them to do that. That's articles, um, email courses, paid Mm -hmm. courses, a community product, like a lot of content. And uh, my new podcast, Creative Elements, is also taking up quite a bit of time because I'm putting a lot of post-production into it. But it's going really well. So I'm in a season of just making stuff and um, a little bit of freelancing, but mostly making stuff.
0: I love it. And... A lot of other folks sort of in the context of their work have answered these next two questions and I want you to answer them in whatever context you want. I'll go ahead and give you both of them. What's great about Columbus? What could be better?
1: I think what's great about Columbus is it's still such a blank slate of a city. Um, You can, you can make a run at just about anything you want to do here. Aside from maybe like if you want to be in the entertainment industry, you know, you Mm -hmm. probably got to go to New York or L.A. for that. But in a lot of ways, you can you can really do whatever you want to do here. And there are some like really good examples of people doing that at a high level. Uh, James Clear lives in Columbus and he is like globally renowned now. Webb Smith is like talking, like redefining how we think about uh, e-commerce and is the preeminent voice on e-commerce. He's in Columbus. Mm -hmm. A lot of people that you wouldn't expect just like doing really big things here. That's awesome. And you can do it in a way like I wouldn't be able to be living the lifestyle that I'm doing. I wouldn't be able to take all of last summer to create a film. If Mm -hmm. my cost of living was two to three times higher in some other city, like I would have to be taking on client work and filling my time with client work to just afford to live here. So it's a really great place where you can find balance between doing client work and also funding both monetarily and from a time perspective, your own creative work. Mm -hmm. What could be better about Columbus? I wish it was more collaborative. Okay. I think, I think, and, and we hear the story in, in other cities that are up and coming, developing or emerging ecosystems. When somebody begins to have a reputation for being at the forefront of that, they get territorial and they don't mm-hmm. get collaborative and uh, there's no longer a rising tide lifting all the boats. Mm-hmm. So I wish, um, I think some or- organizations and and people in Columbus do that very, very well. I think, um, I think we could be, be doing better.
0: Okay. That's fair. Jay, thank you so much for your time.
1: Totally. Thanks, Jay.
0: Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of The Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite independent creator. If you're interested in sponsoring The Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week.